Welcome to Talks at AMCN. Today, we bring you a conversation we recorded live at our NYC offices between Hank Azaria, the multi-hyphenate creator, performer, and star of IFC's Brockmire, and Ed Carroll, COO of AMC Networks. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. So I think we will, we'll talk about the show a bit, then we'll trace your journey, your creative journey that people, people want to hear about. And we'll get back to, uh, to the show and to baseball. There's actually a lot of Met fans here. You can tell them by their posture. Uh, yeah, yeah, there they are. Shared suffering is very important. That's right. So this is more like a support group, really, than anything else. Okay. And then if we have time, we'll end with the Mueller investigation. Uh, that's it? Good. Excellent. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> so, so according to, to Josh uh, and his research, you created the Brockmire character about 15 or as a teenager. Is that true? And why? And what were you doing with it? What, what was the plan? Were you sitting in your own apartment announcing the games or what? Why is a very good question. Uh, I'm a mimic, grew up mimicking everything I heard, and uh, baseball announcers were just one of those things. I was raised by the television, totally. You know, my parents were off doing whatever they were doing, and I was set in front of the TV in Queens, as was mentioned, and baseball was on TV, so I watched it. And the Mets guys, the Yankees guys, and then this guy seemed to be a guy you heard a lot doing all kinds of games. You still hear him mostly doing college basketball today. Turn on the CBS on a Saturday afternoon and you'll get this guy going, all right, we got the Fighting Irish from Notre Dame taking on the Spartans of Michigan State. Gonna be a good one. Um, so I wondered why that was the voice. I started imagining over the years, I called like stupid, like I would call pinball. My, my, my college buddies and I played a lot of pinball, and I'd call that, you know, like, oh, man, right down the drain for Steve, and that has <laughs> got to sting. And be like, shut up. <laughs> and uh, then over the Harry Shearer and I at The Simpsons would talk. He does it a brilliant Vin Scully, in fact. One of the early episodes of Brockmire, little Jim is a flashback, and he's listening to Vin Scully. That's actually Harry Shearer. It's one of those impressions that you cannot tell the difference. You can't tell the difference. Vin Scully, between Vin Scully and Harry Shearer. We talked a lot over the years at The Simpsons about how funny baseball announcers are. How they can say whatever they like as long as they give the count afterwards. <laughs> and it's just true. You know, any, it's like uh, being a British person, really. So, be, because baseball... <laughs> you can say whatever you want in that accent. Well, look at Hugh Grant. Remember when Hugh Grant went on Jay Leno? I was like, I behaved a bit badly. I'm terribly sorry. It's like... Dude, you procured a prostitute in front of all of our eyes. And, oh, but he sounds like he's in a movie, so it's fine. Because baseball is such a long season, and so you, it's the soundtrack of the summer. People who are fans, you play it, you play it, and you really you, you connect with these announcers. And these old-timey guys, every team had one. Every team had one. And I don't know what it means. This is not shtick. I just don't know what it means that... The, uh, the Mets have always had very, very competent announcers, but the team not necessarily the most competent players. The Yankees have buffoon announcers all the time, a character and a talented team. What does that mean about life? It's just a weird thing, you know? It's yin-yang, you know? Yeah. It's, only, uh, it's only fair that we get something, you know? And we do have, the, right now especially, Gary Cohn, Keith Hernandez, and Ron Darling are like the best in the business. And yeah, yeah, yeah your yeah. guys are a little annoying. <laughs> Slightly buffoonish, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, Brockmire uh, drinks a lot. Uh, oh yes, a lot and yeah. other stuff. Hank Azaria does not drink at all, right? Oh, no, I, I retired. <laughs> <laughs> so it is 
So you are, I was uh, watching season two again uh, this weekend uh, to remind myself some scenes. You have to play a lot of scenes, drunk or stoned. I mean, no, a lot. And so is there, how, do you, how does that not get boring to you? Well, it's rather exciting, actually. There's uh, much more boring things to do than that. I, you know, I some, that's one of those acting things that's hard to do, actually, is play drunk. And it's something I've gotten better at over the years, uh, I guess with practice. And it's like working an accent, almost. There, there was a time, like, around five years ago, it's like, whoa, I'm good at the drunk thing now. Yeah. Whereas I used to kind of be bad at it. And I don't know what kicked in for me. <laughs> uh, maybe I miss it so much that uh, that's motivating. I don't know. All right, so we're going to go back. So uh, Hank grew up in, uh, in Queens, I think, Forest Hills. Correct. And uh, your, your dad was a dressmaker, essentially. Mm -hmm. and yeah, garment center. Yeah, not garment. far from here. And your mom uh, worked for uh, movies for a while, Columbia Pictures, is that right? Yeah, she okay. was a, she speak, both my parents speak Spanish, okay. and uh, she worked in publicity for Columbia Pictures in their Latin territories. So when you, uh, when you graduate, I guess you were always uh, interested in acting, right? Were you in like the, the theater club in high school and all that stuff? We didn't have one in high yeah. school. I went to a very tough prep school in Queens. All they did was give you work assignments and we had no drama club and barely any athletics and again I was a mimic I would memorize comedy albums and TV shows and movies not realizing that meant I probably wanted to do this didn't occur to me till college where they did have a theater program that I really enjoyed being on the stage and when you uh, when you left Tufts you and Oliver Platt started a theater group what we, we did what was the what was the thinking there you're just going to do it yourself? You're not going to wait around? Yeah, it was me and Ollie and one other guy who was a director, and we, we thought we'd put on a bunch of plays. We only did one. We ended up doing Harold Pinter's The Dumbwaiter. And we wanted to take matters into our own hands. You know, college theater, I don't know how many of you guys have experienced that. It's a little weird and bad and boring and overly academic and intellectual, and we kind of were frustrated by it and wanted to do our own thing, which we did for a summer. And we did pretty well, but didn't continue after that. And so then you did, you had that moment, I guess, that uh, stereotypical moment where you said, I'm going to L.A., I'm going to Hollywood to see if I can make it, right? Yes. Yeah. Did you drive or fly out there? What were you? What, was, what, what was your mindset at the time? What were you going to, you were going to give yourself how long? And if it didn't work, you were going to fall back on what? Uh, these are good questions and how things actually went. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know why I had this uh, foresight, but I knew I loved acting enough that if I didn't try it, I, would, I knew I'd regret it. I didn't know that, hello, Blake. I knew, <laughs> I, I didn't, hello, Jen. Um, there's people I know here. Uh, oh, hey, Mom. <laughs> if I didn't try it, I'd regret it. I didn't think I would make it. I gave myself till I was, I don't know, I think I gave myself till I was 28. I gave myself seven years. <laughs> Figured I'd be back at grad school for, I wanted to be a therapist. I oh, figured yeah. I would yeah. go back for psychology, yeah. get my master's and PhD in that. And, uh, and your parents were like, fine, this is Hank, go do this. They were not fans of this career choice, but they were very yeah. supportive. Yeah. In fact, I went to LA because I was working as a bartender at a place called Arcadia Restaurant. Remember Arcadia? Nice yeah. place. It used to be uh -huh. on like 61st between 5th and Madison. And I uh, got fired because I was a horrible bartender and um, <laughs> called my dad and said, Dad, I got fired. He said, he's like, well, you want to be an actor? You want to be a bartender? And uh, I wanted to be in the theater. Couldn't get any jobs here. 
And the one job I got was in television. So I took my last like $400 and flew to LA and just started uh, auditioning out there and, and like got a job within my first six months. Which is where? I did a, uh, a TV movie starring Anthony LaPaglia called Nitty the Enforcer. It was the Frank Nitty story. Right. I had like a few scenes. Did you think you were good? I mean, did you, t to me it's, you know, I don't, I don't know, what do you think, Ed? You know, we picked up season three, so. Uh, <laughs> and no, I, four. Because I, I just figure you go out there, you just go out there to LA and you're gonna start going on auditions and basically that's people saying no, no, no. That's, and, and that's pretty much how it went, yeah. So you have to have some inner, you, you know, you look around at the odds and, and you must have some resilience to, to think, no, I'm gonna be good enough to make this stick. You know you love it enough to try. Yeah. You think you might be good. It's like minor, like, let's give the baseball analogy. Yeah. Like, you're, you're kicking ass at every level. Like, oh, I'm the best actor in my high school, okay? I'm one of the best actors in my college, all right? Oh, I got a couple of regional theater jobs. That was, I'm rolling so far. Um, and then, you know, you figure, well, let me enter the arena. And you have no idea if you're really that good or not, but you find out. Um, and uh, in class, I was lucky enough to find a great teacher. And in there, you see a lot of actors at every level. And this class was amazing. I mean, um, the people who went through there, Brad Pitt and Sharon Stone and Gina Davis and Gary Shandling and, um, and others, and many people who didn't make it either. I saw Brad Pitt literally figure out his thing. Like, you know, he learned how to act in that class. And you see other people like, that guy got a job, I'm better than that idiot. I can definitely do it. So you start building confidence that way. I still don't know. I, I don't understand why I'm not offered everything. I think I'm awesome. <laughs> Conversely, I, then the things I am offered, I'm like, gee, why'd they think of me for that? I don't know. You did stand up, for real? I did, briefly. Oh, that's not a committed answer, what does that mean? <laughs> no, again, very early out there in LA, I was doing improvisational comedy. It's one of the classes I was taking. We had written some sketches. We had like five, 10 minutes of material left over that weren't appropriate for sketch. So I went to an open mic at the comedy store, not even knowing that it was an audition situation, just wanting to experience kind of like jumping out of an airplane, like, yeah, let me go up in front of people and do jokes and uh, got hired off of that. That's another, that's another moment you go like, geez, I must be fairly good. I've never walked on the stand-up stage before and I just got hired. And then I did it for a while and was horrible at it and got creamed by the audience. What, do you, what was uh, your, you, you, where did you look for for material? Do you remember even? Can you remember one joke from it? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, again, raised by the TV, I sort of was spitting back everything I had grown up with. One impression I did was Captain Kirk uh, going to the bathroom. Captain Kirk taking a shit yeah, yeah. was an impression. It, go, it goes like this. <laughs> Captain Kirk taking a shit. Ready? <laughs> That's the Kirk to move pain reaction. Whatever Captain Kirk got hit in the old show, whether it's the head or the foot or the knee, he always went, <laughs> That was my act. Uh, a lot of stuff like that. So you can see why I didn't, uh, I wasn't exactly Dave Chappelle in the making there.
Yeah, but you know it is. It, but if you ever get a laugh with anything, you always remember that joke. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It just, it well, I didn't. I, yeah. The comedy store was like the Wild West. You never got through your act. You just got heckled mercilessly. Yeah. Every comedian just had to insult the audience back. Every act was just the comedian just saying, "What? What? What, buddy? Where are you from?" Hey. And then. <laughs> destroying them and I had nothing I was 22 yeah. Yeah. I had no and one of the older comedians took pity on me because I would just like kind of be like a lamb up there like oh and then I continue my bad jokes and he said dude you have to come back at these people yeah. and he gave me a couple of one-liners to yeah. use <laughs> that worked you know like sir this is my job okay I don't bother you when you're working when you're on your knees in the men's room at the bus station <laughs> I don't say anything to you. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. That shuts people up. That's good. Yeah. I probably won't use that at the cable show. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but okay. No, you can't say no. that anymore. No. Not even guys in a club can say that anymore, I don't think. So then the, uh, the Simpsons happened because... You had done, you did something else. You were the voice of a dog and something else. Is that true? And the, the <laughs> it's cast, true. The casting agent remembered you and said, hey, here's a voice. They did a Roger Rabbit-like yeah. pilot, meaning the one creature was animated and everything else was in the real world. And I did the voice of the animated dog. Hollywood Dog was the name of the dog. It was a cartoon strip that was, I guess, popular in, in L.A. Pilot never went anywhere for Fox, but they sort of knew me from that and the casting director... They actually had an original voice from Mo the Bartender that they dismissed. And I thought they didn't like his work, but I found out years later they liked his recording very much. He just was a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Think about that poor guy. He's like the Pete Best of The Simpsons. Like, it's a reference you guys don't get either. I'm, I'm, I'm 97 years old. You got it, Ed. You know who Pete Best is. He was the drummer for The Beatles who quit The Beatles right before they became huge and had to live with that. Um, and then Ringo Starr came in. So this poor guy, yeah, you know, he could have been Mo, and he gave it up. So uh, Mo, based on uh, anyone know Mo, based the voice, based loosely, the myth is on an actor, old time actor. Anyone get that reference? Anybody? There'll be a prize afterwards if you can. <laughs> anyone? They're not familiar with my bio. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, there it is. Oh, it's a ringer. Al Pacino, ladies and gentlemen, right. Right. <laughs> so Al Pacino, Chief Wiggum, Disco Stew, who I love, yes, uh, Cletus, Professor Frank. Yes, of course, Jerry Lewis. And they probably don't remember Jerry Lewis either. It's <laughs> ancient reference, and uh, we're all about to die. <laughs> At least I am. So it must be so weird. That is a part of TV history. That'll go on and on. Everyone in this room will be dead and gone, and The Simpsons will be playing all around the world yes, forever. I will have the last laugh. And ever you, you will. That's wild. So James L. Brooks, you met him. Was that intimidating? He's like a television legend, producer of uh, Mary Tyler Moore and The Simpsons and everything. Yeah, and tax. I mean, did you guys, I guess I'm asking, did you guys feel it when it started to happen? That, or, or you just showed up, you did the voice work, you left, and didn't think about it much? Uh, sort of both. It, you, it takes like a year for an animated show to surface from when it's being written and you record it. It takes them so long to animate it. So, I don't know, yeah, it's like there's James L. Brooks, it's legend, and... It's kind of cool, and I think it's funny, but who knows? Back then, kids, uh, there were four networks, four, <laughs> four television channels besides the local ones. I'm the, right. I'm not kidding yeah, about yeah, that. There, and there were phones that you had to press buttons yeah, yeah, in the street and put money in and things. 
So Fox was brand new. This was it had been ABC, CBS, and uh, NBC for ages. So it was crazy upstart network. You didn't think the, the network would even survive, let alone a show, an animated primetime show on the network. Ridiculous. I remember, though, going to a local L.A. film festival and seeing that we had done little shorts, Simpsons shorts first, much like Brockmeyer, similar kind of. And the response from the audience in the movie theater was like wild. And so I'm like, I think the show might be striking a chord in some way. So I wasn't totally shocked. Because from the second it came out, it was huge when it finally aired. So uh, 500 episodes, more or less? Over 600, Over actually. Over 600. Yeah. So, Jen, we do eight Brock Myers this season. <laughs> so someone who's good in math, how many years will we be at this till, till we do the 500th episode of Brock Myers? Like it, it, it'll uh, be... You better start negotiating. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a long it'll, uh, it'll be... So, 52, but, 52 years. But, uh, I think it's more like 80. Yeah. But I could be wrong. So, but the, the other thing The Simpsons does, I would imagine it gives you a kind of complete freedom to do only what you want, right? Yes. We've been around long enough where yeah. we finally were able to get paid enough that I would have gotten caught, as I would consider it, in like a procedural show. I've got offered things that I'm so glad I didn't have to. They even became successful, but I don't want to be on whatever three-letter yeah. syllable, you know... Yeah. SUV, NPR, yeah, yeah. DDI. Yeah. Yeah. We, we air them on WeTV, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, they're fun to watch. Yeah, they're great. Arguably. <laughs> but uh, very arguably. Yeah. But yeah. to act, I yeah. know folks on these shows. Yeah. They're not too thrilled. I mean, they're long shooting seasons, and you know, you got to memorize all this technical gobbledygook. It's like, you know, I don't know what the equivalent would be, but it's very, it's a very utilitarian acting job and it's not all that much fun so yeah to be able to like have an idea like this yeah. and spend years trying to nurture it along and get it done and i'm very fortunate that way so i got to talk about your movies for a second josh mentioned the birdcage that was based on the the play la Caja fall Correct. and you did you did this performance as the guatemalan housekeeper uh yes i did spartacus Yes, thanks a lot. Oh, thank you. If you haven't In seen particular, this. thank you. Because, no, because she has this cute dress and everything. She looks good over here. Crazy, boldest comedic performance you've ever seen. Did that, did that change the way people in Hollywood looked at you after that? No, really. In more ways than one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that yeah. was sort of my, my passport moment. Yeah. And were, you worried, were you worried role. about the overtopness of it? Would you, yeah. I would, uh, when we were shooting that, I would sort of start awake in the middle of the night in bed like, what am I doing? I uh, hope this is funny because I could seriously be offending uh, gay people and Guatemalan people. Uh, and not to mention, you know, just actors who were like, what the heck was that? So the whole thing came together, very fortunately. You know, it helps to have Mike Nichols there and Gene Hackman and Rob Williams and Diane Weist and Nathan Lane running around. That was one of my first movies. That and Quiz Show. If you've never seen Quiz Show, yeah. is a Robert Redford-directed yeah. movie about the true story about the Quiz Show scandals in the 1950s. Really great movie, nominated for an Oscar. Those are my first two movie jobs. I thought they all were going to be like that. And then, you know, I made Godzilla and um, realized that was not going to be the case. And you did uh, Spamalot on Broadway. Yes, yeah, with Mike Nichols also. So then do you sing? Because you do so many voices. Do you sing? Can you? Well, will you right now? 
I can sing really well as Chief Wiggum for yeah. some reason. He has a nice voice. You know, he can really carry a tune. I think he sounds like Merman, kind of. You'll be swell. You'll be great. I can really sing as Wiggum. As myself, I have much less confidence. But because I've had to sing on The Simpsons so much over yeah. the years, I actually have developed a functional What is your voice. Do you go-to, like, karaoke song that you would do? If you're pressed. When I, yes, when yeah. I used to uh, do uh, Summer Wind from, by Sinatra. Oh, that's, well, that's, or that's, Glory that's Days by Springsteen. Those yeah. are my two biggies. Well, the second one you can sort of bark out there, but the first one is really singing. That's, yeah, that's well, I would do it. Uh, you do it at Sinatra. Yeah. Yeah. The summer Wind. How you doing, my friend? Nice to see you. Yeah. So uh, looking back at your you know, 80 years in showbiz, is there feels like it? Is there is there a role that you thought you were going to get, or you wish you were, had got that still that you still think about? If I had gotten that one, good question. Uh, no, one of the things that I was offered that I didn't do just because I couldn't, because I was busy doing something else, was uh, Kyle Chandler's role in Friday Night Lights. Wow! Uh, but that worked out right. Yeah. I mean, these things always work out the right way. Like, Kyle Chandler's awesome and much better than I. I would have been some weird version fair. of that character. He's fair. I, I hear he can't sing. <laughs> no, he's he can't do Chief Wiggum. No, not really. I mean, there's certain roles that I went after really hard and didn't get. Like um, Friends, we all knew when we had that script it was going to be awesome and huge. You you were in an early one, right? Wasn't that a? I, I was. I played a recurring role on Friends of yeah. like Phoebe's scientist guy, shy, yeah. stuttering well, you, boyfriend. You proposed to her. Don't I you? did, yeah. and I got rejected. I yeah. lost to Ant Man. Beat me out. It happens. You know. He went on to be Ant Man. I went on to be Gargamel in the Smurfs franchise. <laughs> so she made the right decision. You know. Uh, <laughs> but I really wanted to be Joey. That's the only, I auditioned for Joey, and then they said no. And then I, it's the only time I ever went back. I was like, you gotta see me again. Let me do it one more time. Another day, like, not that day, like, came back a week later. They were like, okay. They read, and they were very like, yes, absolutely not. Get out. And then you know what see, happened? But now, if you, if you had, right, if you had been Joey, you'd probably be a little typecast. As Joey, right? You've been able to and do I would have been awesome. I don't yeah, think, think so. so. Yeah. I still would, have would be Joey money. if I could. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Combine the Simpsons and the Friends right. money, and I'd probably be running this network. You would be. You would be. Well, um, so, somebody ought to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the fun stuff. I'm going uh, to uh, read off some baseball movies. I'd like you to rank your top three, okay? Easy. And then I will tell you if you're correct. All right, uh, I'm just going to listen. And then we move on to the lightning round. Hold, hold, yeah, lightning round, and then we'll open it up. Hold, hold your answer till you hear the whole list. We want right. your top three. Field of Dreams, The Natural, A League of Their Own, It Happens Every Spring, Bull Durham, Major League, Pride of the Yankees, Bad News Bears, and Eight Men Out. My three top out of that, the top of that list would be The Natural, followed by Bad News Bears, which is one of my favorite movies. Ah, that's close between those two. And then I would put, uh, it gets a little tougher after that. I'd probably go Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Yeah. You know, so close, Hank. So oh. close. <laughs> no, those are, those are great. All right, so uh, Mets. Uh, Brockmeyer, we, we were shooting for a sort of Bad News Bears sensibility. 
with Brock Meyer. That and the movie Slapshot, which if you've never seen, oh, yeah. is worth sure, it. Sure, the Paul Newman. Yeah. So, uh, Bad News Bears, obviously the original. There's only the original. It was on, uh, I was in a hotel getting The new changed. one's good too with Billy Bob. It's yeah, good. No, it's not. Don't be nice. <laughs> oh, I think it was good. Don't be nice. Uh, and, and it was on in the hotel. You're getting changed and you're like going to put this on background, you know. And then you end up, you get dressed and then you find yourself sitting there alone in the hotel room, pathetically watching Bad News Bears from... 40 years ago, but it's great. It's so great. I, that's yeah. one that if it's on, I'll watch. Same yeah. with The Natural. And also for me, the rounding that list out is right. uh, Roadhouse. Yes. Roadhouse. Okay. Roadhouse. Roadhouse is on. I must watch the whole. That's great. Yeah. So that's Patrick Swayze? Is that? That's right. Yeah, right. I, notice how I acted like I never saw it before. <laughs> uh, Patrick Swayze, I was watching Crimes and Misdemeanors. I didn't see that one. Uh, okay. Uh, New York Mets all-time hit leader is who? All-time leader in hits. Wow. Still on the active roster, kind of. Oh, uh, well, that's a giveaway. Yeah. Is that Bonilla? No. <laughs> I didn't say still being paid. I said, <laughs> I said still on the active roster. Oh, is it David Wright? Yes, David oh, Wright. Okay. David Wright. Okay. Name, this is the audience can play too. Name the pitcher with the most lifetime career wins who never won a Cy Young Award. So he's a Met. No, no. No, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is all, all baseball. Most active career wins, but never won a Cy Young Award. Is he still pitching? No. Call it out. Sandy Koufax. Sandy Koufax is incorrect. Good, good guess, though. That's a tough one. No, it's, it's not. It's the easiest one you guys have ever heard. Yell it out. Cy Young. Cy Young is the answer, yes. Oh. <laughs> they never gave Cy Young the Cy Young Award. It's one of those trick yeah, questions. Yeah, one of them. Well, sort of. Who's buried in Grant's tomb, Ed? Exactly. <laughs> 511 career wins. So that's it. So why don't we, uh, let's open up questions. We have mics. We have, everyone is still thinking about this. I have a question young. while you're Go thinking. Ahead, yeah. What are you all doing here? What is yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, what's going on? <laughs> so, yeah. When I saw you unsuspectingly in Dry Powder and in Norman, Dry Powder was a big off-Broadway, well... Uh, what I should do is email you and let you know stuff I'm in, so you're not surprised yeah, just, by this. But the, 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 the question I have is, so you take, in Norman, a role of on-screen time of three minutes, four minutes, teeny little movie. Do, do you just do that because it interests you? What, how do you decide what to do? Say yes to. Uh, Work-wise. Yes. Mostly, you know, people just offer me stuff. And the vast majority of it I do not do. And then, you know, one of the benefits of being in show business for 80 years is you come to be good recognition of somebody, a good script, a good director, or an interesting role, or interesting whatever. And I don't care if it's... I actually prefer the three-minute ones. I get to go hang out with my son a lot more and play poker. So, yeah, it just was an interesting... Pro and Dry Powder, you know, I've been... I'm, one of the reasons I moved back to New York was to do theater, because I love it, I love attending, I love doing it. And uh, Tommy Kale, what am I going to say? No, Tommy Kale directed um, Hamilton, invited me to do a play. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. And, you know, Claire Danes was in it and, and John Krasinski. It seemed like a really cool. Then I read the play and it was, it was awesome. So, yeah, but I only do like one or two things a year because there's not that much quality stuff around. And, again, I'm fortunate I don't have to take money jobs, so I don't. <laughs> Uh, what do you prefer doing more? Comedy, stand-up, TV, film, or voiceover work? 
Definitely not stand up. Stand up was like a like a like walking in a horror house. Uh, that was like a nightmare. I couldn't wake up from. Uh, gun to my head comedy because it's more fun to spend the day deciding how to get a laugh. That attitude carries over onto the set. Usually, it's kind of a fun, funny atmosphere. And in a drama, that tends to take over. And because the actors are walking around trying to get in touch with all this pain, and you know, directors are it, everyone's intense and short-tempered and. But I like to be able to go back and, and forth. Do you, do you write? Are you, obviously, you wrote Brockmire. But are, I wrote you, the short you, with some buddies. Do you regularly write? I don't. I, I, have, I tried. I wrote enough. I've written some scripts. I wrote enough to realize I'm not that great at it. And that's why I'm smart enough to find people like Joel Church Cooper who can really write. And I say their words with great respect. I can write a short. Like, that's my sense of humor. Like, that short you saw, that's what... Left to my own devices, like if I brought Brockmire here without Joel, I would have created something like that. would have been funny, but it would have been kind of light and I'm not great with story. I don't know what we really would have done. I probably would have messed it up. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyone? Question. Do you actually enjoy promoting your film and TV projects, like going on Howard Stern and news shows, or is it awkward and tedious? Mostly tedious at this point. Uh, but going on Howard Stern was fun. It depends on the thing. If you did that all the time, that would be really fun. Um, I'd waited like, I was, I'm a huge Howard fan. It took me 30 years to get on Howard. I probably won't be on for another 30. <laughs> so some things are fun. I enjoy like doing talk shows mostly, but like I just, well, I'm not gonna name names, but mostly no, it's, it, it, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a grind and you're just kind of answering stuff you've answered 15 times already and um, it's kind of a performance. So it's rare that it is exciting and fun. You know. But it's easier, I'm not just saying this, when you actually love the project you're doing, like I really, I love Brockmire so much, personally and professionally, that I don't mind promoting Brockmire because I'm really anxious to get the word out. You know what the worst is? Like when you've done a movie, you know it's terrible. I mean, you know it's terrible. <laughs> you know, and it was horrible to make and you hate everybody, you know. And the last thing in the world is you want people to see it because it's terrible and it's embarrassing. And you have to go and go, no, nah, this, let me tell you why this movie's wonderful. That's hard. I had a, somebody, somebody wise and wise and somebody intense. Who was it? Somebody great, uh, older actor, might have been Jack Lemmon, somebody like that said to me, you know, that's what you're getting paid for. That's what your paycheck is for, is though, you know, not to act, not to go have fun on the set and do what you love to do. You're getting paid for that stuff. You know, which always kind of stayed with me. We have time for one more question, if anyone has. There, there we go, Elaine. Thank you. Hi. So you're Hank, New Yorker. What are your favorite things about New York? Favorite hangouts, favorite foods, favorite New York things? Central Park. I love walking in this city. Love the Mets. Moved my son back here to raise a Met fan because <laughs> I need help for this in my old age. I need support for the family business, exactly. Love the theater, as I said, going and being part of it. Pizza, you know, although a good New York slice, it's a dying art. Suprema, right nearby, best slice in town. Yeah, otherwise you gotta go to like, you know, Motorino or Keste and get these fancy little pies. And so is your picture on the wall at any pizzerias in New York? I think Suprema might is have it? hit me, I don't know. There's some delis where I'm up, <laughs> for sure. But yeah, I, I just love New York, you know.
mostly for those reasons. I love New Yorkers. I love New Yorkers. Miss them when I'm not here. <laughs> Which one? It's, it's more of a, like a request or a favor. If you could do that impression of Al Pacino in that scene between you and him and Heat. All right, well, I'll tell this story quickly. I did the movie Heat. It was my 30th birthday. It was also Al's birthday. We have the same birthday, April 25th, as does Joe Buck, April 25th. And on my 30th birthday, I shot 24 hours straight. I shot a full night on Heat, and then I right, went right to the birdcage set. It was very weird doing those two movies at once. <laughs> and Michael Mann, who directed Heat, he does take after, like Mike, Mike Nichols will quit after two takes. We got it, moving on, lovely. It's <laughs> my Mike Nichols impression. And then Michael Mann, who's kind of a, more of a perfectionist, tough Chicago Jewhead, that's what he is. And he's like, do it again, do it again. So you do hundreds of takes, you, want, you lose the will to live. <laughs> and uh, Al Pacino was getting very uh, frustrated. <laughs> And his line was, which he said it like this, I, I say, ah, why'd I get involved with this dumb broad? It was the worst line, but I'm not going to say it. And he, you know, his line is, because she's got a great ass. <laughs> but like on take 70,000, it came out, because she has a great ass. <laughs> and you got your head all the way up it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot. To it, if you watch, watch that movie again, you'll see I respond to that by going like this. He does that and I go, Jesus. <laughs> and I'm not acting at all. I just, me, Hank, went, Jesus. I'm terrified. I've been almost asleep from the hundreds of takes. Of, and then he, Al Pacino screamed that. So I don't think we can top that uh, <laughs> as, an, as an ending note. Uh, I would say uh, thanks to, uh, to Jen and to... to uh, Blake and to Pete for really uh, bringing Brock Meyer to IFC and our friends at Funny or Die uh, and, uh, and for you to, to, to bring it to IFC and the show means so much to, to us, to me, to everyone here. Uh, we're, we're so proud to, to be the home of it. Well, so thank, thank you. you. This is the only place that would take a chance on this show. I mean, you know, hey, it's a 50-year-old guy and it's about baseball. It was a really tough sell, I guess. Uh, so I really appreciate it. These guys, not only do they take a chance on it, but they've let us have so much creative freedom and have been so supportive. And I don't know that we could have done, we, we definitely could not have done it anywhere else because nobody else said yes. But, <laughs> so that, that's right out. But even if we did, I don't think people would have let us really turn it in. And taking a chance on Joel, Joel Church Cooper was an untested showrunner. I thought for sure they, was gonna, they were going to saddle us with somebody to partner with him. They did not which I thought was really stupid of you guys. No, I thought it was amazing. And I, even I didn't know how great Joel would, would, would rise to the occasion. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Great. Hank Azaria. Until next time, this has been Talks at AMCN. 